the identity evolution of, no, this is who I am. I am this person who does Mm -hmm. this every day and, and who reaps the benefits of it. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. You turn your alarm off and roll out of bed. It's still dark outside, so you stumble to the bathroom and flip on a light. You grab your toothbrush, throw some toothpaste on it, and start brushing. Starting with the same part of your mouth as always, using the same strokes as always, the same amount of time as always. Let's fast forward to later that day. Somebody comes up to you and asks, did you brush your teeth this morning? You might stop. Your teeth don't feel fuzzy, so you figure you must have, but you have no conscious recollection of actually brushing your teeth. That's because your brain was running on automatic through a habit loop. As you went through that routine of brushing your teeth, you weren't making any conscious choices about your actions. Your brain was just running on autopilot. So you did the same exact thing in the same exact way as always. Our days are full of these habit loops. Once you perform a certain action or task in the same way over and over again, the brain starts to convert that sequence of actions into a completely automatic routine. Scientists refer to this as chunking, and it's at the root of how habits form. It's actually a very efficient way for the brain to function. Once it chunks habits in this way, brain activity as you do those actions decreases. So it doesn't take as much energy for those things to be performed. I've heard it estimated that anywhere from 40 to 70% of the actions that you perform in a day are ruled by habits. So no matter how you perceive them, these actions aren't conscious choices that we're making. It's just our brain running on automatic. There are three parts that make up this habit loop. The first is the cue or a trigger. This is something that happens consistently to set off the chain of actions. In our example of the toothbrush, That trigger was walking into the bathroom and flipping on the light. The context of it being morning, of you having just turned off your alarm, of it being dark outside also contributed to that being the specific trigger for your habit. That cue propels you into the specific routine. In our example, that routine is you brushing your teeth and the exact way that you're doing that. The routine can be much more complicated than simply brushing your teeth though. Your brain is actually very good at chunking much more complicated tasks. And then finally, there's a reward. It's that hit of dopamine to your brain that tells it this habit loop is worth remembering. It's important to understand this loop because it's going to take some deliberate effort if we want to start to form new habits or even more complicated change old habits that we may have fallen into and we don't feel are serving us anymore. If you're looking to create a new healthy habit in your life, you need to think about what's the cue that's gonna trigger me to actually perform this action and it needs to be the same every single time. Then you wanna get into a little bit of a routine, so you wanna be performing the same or very similar task every time as well. Finally, you may have to engineer a bit of a reward for yourself, but you do want to give your brain that reward so that it knows that was worth it. Let's start to automate this. The reward can be very simple. 
In our example of brushing your teeth, the reward is that clean, fresh feeling that you feel on your teeth all day when they're not fuzzy and you know that they're scrubbed. If you wanna change an already formed habit, that is absolutely possible. It's just gonna take some deliberate action and deliberate brain power. You can use the same cue, but you need to learn to recognize that cue and then deliberately change whatever routine or actions that you take from there. The study of habits is a fascinating one. If anybody's interested in learning more, I highly recommend the book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. It lays all of this out in extensive detail, and it really provides some insight into why the heck we do what we do. Why do we fall into these bad habits? How do our cravings lead into addictions? And then how can we start to think about these things, recognize them, and shift them? In this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with Hadley Garrison, who is my brother Todd's girlfriend. They both live together out in Seattle. She runs her own wellness coaching business out there, although she provides all of her services online. I really connect with and relate to her perspectives on a lot of things and the way she approaches health in such a holistic way. We talk about habits together in this episode because one of the things that she works on with her clients is the creation and formation of healthy habits, and she spends a lot of time coaching them through that. We also talk about a lot of other amazing stuff. We talk about how Hadley was a vegan for many, many years and why she is just starting to shift away from that a little bit. And she tells us about the upsides and the downsides that she sees of being a vegan. We talk about her story and her personal struggles and how she's translated that into helping her clients with similar things. We also talk about perfectionism. She tells us what it is and why it can actually be detrimental to your success. We talk about being really intentional with your time and how she has prioritized time management in her schedule. We talk about comparing and contrasting behavioral science with the concepts of Ayurveda and how she integrates both of those into her own life and then also in her business with her clients. There's lots of great stuff in this episode. I learned a lot hearing from Hadley and I hope you guys feel the same. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on and get to chat. I want to just start by talking a little bit about your story in health and wellness. I know that you've been a vegan for most of your life. So that makes me think that you've you've at least been somewhat health conscious for, for most of your life. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that start, how and why you decided to be a vegan, and then a little bit about your journey. It's so funny that you said that because it's been so recent, but literally in the past two weeks, I've decided to actually incorporate meat back into my life. I mean, twice or three times a week. I'm kind of transitioning into that right now, taking, you know, bone broth and that kind of thing, uh, which we can talk more about as well. But yeah, I became vegetarian sophomore year of high school. And then I became vegan senior year. So yeah, it has been quite a while. I grew up super health conscious. My parents were really, really health conscious. And both my parents and my sister and I became vegetarian at like the same time and then vegan at the same time. I was really the most like dogmatic, like, no, I am completely vegan. (laughs) I think that might tell us something about your your perfectionism, but we're going to talk about that later too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my parents really raised me to kind of always be learning and growing and be health conscious physically, but also they were really into Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and all those people. I remember I read 
seven habits of highly effective teens. Oh Don't my gosh, so- no way. So, and then like I read The Omnivore's Dilemma, Michael Pollan, for young readers, the re- young readers edition. That was the thing that really like started all of us on thinking about whether or not we want to be putting meat in our bodies or what kinds of meat. I decided that, that there weren't a lot of options around me in Michigan at the time for sustainable, healthy meat. And so my family all just kind of figured like, hey, we might as well be vegetarian to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents also read like the China study at the time, which is just this really big comprehensive study of human nutrition in China. And it just uses a lot of statistical evidence. um, And they assert that higher meat consumption correlates with higher cancer, heart disease, all of these things. Mm -hmm. So we kind of decided, let's just try it for a while. And and then we just never stopped. (laughs) And then over time, I kind of started incorporating minor amounts of things back in to make life easier. Like In college, I started incorporating eggs again. It just made life a lot easier. My relationship with food was definitely one of deprivation and perfectionism. That over time resulted in some disordered eating and binging after depriving, that kind of thing. So I started incorporating eggs and that made things easier for me. And then I started incorporating like fish when I was in an area that had fresh fish or, um, you know, if I was at a restaurant and it was either fish or like pizza, you know. And then as I started having a healthier relationship with food, I also just kind of allowed anything. So now I'm just kind of like, I will eat anything. I will eat bites of anything for sure. I'll eat bites of meat. I've been doing that for a long time and trying not to label things as good or bad. So yeah, so now I'm actually incorporating meat. Um, I've been playing meat with the idea for about a year because my level of physical activity hasn't been as high as it is now since I swam in high school. It's definitely a really big shift since I literally have never prepared meat. Yeah. And so I've been playing around with that for a year, but then I just went to my naturopath and she kind of confirmed you should start incorporating it again. And she was like, you don't need to do it every single day. So it'll be like two or three times, maybe four times a week. So what were the things that she saw that made her think maybe this is a good idea for you to add meat back in a little bit? I was talking about like my diet and things like that. And she was like, your physical, the amount of physical activity you're doing indicates to me that you probably aren't getting as much protein as you need. That's been like what I've been thinking. And I definitely want to make sure that I'm getting that. It's hard to get enough protein when you're looking at only vegan sources. It's just challenging. It works for people who are, you know, sitting on a mountain meditating all day long, like not doing as much high intensity stuff. Why do you think that your mentality evolved from being so dogmatic, needing to be completely vegan, never touching animal products, to being fine with trying bites of things or eating anything? It was really this course that I now teach, but I went through myself with this company called Yoga Healer. So the course was very much, it was super holistic. So it's got nutrition and physical activity and also sleep and stress and having higher self-esteem. And so it's everything. Really starting to be more intuitive with what my body needs and be more in touch with my body's cues and that kind of thing was really the change for me. I definitely had some disordered eating patterns. Um, I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder because I never sought help for it. I definitely struggled with, you know, the deprivation binge cycle over and over and over again, especially through college. And so then doing this course helped me to really realize, oh, I'm not, I'm not actually listening to anything that my body is saying. I'm just trying to force it into 
the different right. behaviors that I want. Right. I relate to that so closely. That sounds like mm-hmm. exactly my history. And it's interesting because when you're in that deprivation or restrictive mentality, you're so out of tune that you don't even realize that you're depriving your body of something. <laughs> so it takes building a whole new skill set to realize, oh, wait, I'm not satisfied in some way. And you have to do the work to discover in what ways you're not satisfying yourself and find a way to do that. It's not easy. Yeah. And I've gotten a lot lot more into like intuitive eating and things like that, too. I've done a few workshops on that with different sororities at University of Washington and then throughout Seattle, too. Most women are in that in that cycle. And it's Mm -hmm. So, so hard to break away from it because of our diet culture. In general, we've touched on this a little bit. What have been your biggest personal struggles in finding health and happiness? And how do you think you've evolved to finding those things? Some of my biggest personal struggles definitely revolved around food and my body. Growing up, I was very, very body conscious. You know, I had like a really happy, full life. I had a great childhood. But I remember even when I was really young, even before I was 10, I felt self-conscious about my body. I wasn't restricting food or anything then, but I was comparing myself to everyone else, especially being in a bathing suit. You know, I'm from like a tourist town in uh, West Michigan. And, you know, we're always boating or at a lake or something like that. And I, I felt very self-conscious. And I know I was very disconnected from my body. I was a really big reader. So I remember reading stories where people could feel like what their bodies were telling them. Like I felt the hair on my neck prickle because someone was staring at me or whatever. And I was like, I think they're lying. Like, I I don't think anyone can feel that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just relied on like, oh, do this diet or have this portion size. Or, Or on the flip side of it was binge eight until I felt sick. Oh, it's so interesting. That's that's early to yeah. have those thoughts, those body image issues. Yeah. It didn't start with restricting until probably probably later high school, but mm-hmm. I definitely was very conscious. C- coming through that struggle, I def- it definitely got worse before it got better. Junior As year these things often do. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Junior year of college um, was definitely my worst. I was at my, my heaviest and my lowest mental health for sure. Um, I had psoriasis all over my body and like my face. I had, I went on antibiotics like three times that year. Um, which, yeah, <laughs> it was like a vicious cycle. Um, and then of course I wasn't getting enough sleep either. Then when I went through this course, I learned so much, even though I had thought that I was health conscious before, it really was just food and physical activity, you know? Right. Often we don't realize all of the other pieces of the puzzle that matter just as much. It's not just about, well, you ate your salad for lunch, so you're healthy. Stress is one of them too. And when you're in school and you're a student and you're sleep deprived, stress can be a massive factor in how your body's responding to things and your mental health. Sleep is like the first thing that I start with with people. If you don't have enough sleep, you're not going to be able to make the decisions that you want to be making for yourself. Decision fatigue is such a real thing where you're just mm. trying to make all these decisions throughout the day and it just makes it that much harder if you're not, if you're sleep deprived. It's the first thing to go for so many people. You know, I'll just cut off a couple hours of my sleep, get some things done at night. And that's the worst decision <laughs> that you can be making for yourself at that point, you know? I would wake myself up way earlier than I should have for the amount of sleep that I should have been getting and to work out because I was like, well, I have to work out and sleep's got to go. Eight hours at least every single night. It's a non-negotiable. If I haven't gotten enough sleep, 
I'm cutting the workout. I'm not cutting sleep. So you learned about all of these things, but what inspired you to want to help others that were going through similar things and having these similar struggles? I always knew that I wanted to help people. I, I knew that I wanted to do something with holistic health as well. Once I went to college, I realized I wanted to do prevention a lot more than I wanted to treat. So then that kind of launched you into starting your own business, which yes. I would love if you could tell us about that and kind of about the mission behind your business. Really, I aim to help people thrive in their bodies and minds and really to just design the life that they want to live and then start living it. A lot of my approach is empowering people to find the answer for themselves rather than kind of relying on outsiders like me to tell them what to do, which has been the model in the past for most mm-hmm. people. So I help them to tune into their body's cues. I help them to ask themselves the questions that I would ask them and get curious about the effects their behaviors have on their physical bodies, their mental health, their energy levels, all of that. I have big dreams of you know making a difference on, on a large scale. And I, I really think that the more we can get individuals to be as healthy and happy and connected with each other as possible, the more likely they are to find their purpose and to really like fight for their own passions. Maybe they're more likely to fight for the environment or human justice mm-hmm. or education or whatever they feel like their purpose is. And so I really care about each of my clients, both for their own health and happiness, as well as kind of the ripple effect that they have on their loved ones and all the people that they come across as well. I love that. What do you find are the most common areas or issues that you're helping clients to address? Coming from a holistic perspective, so it can be pretty all encompassing, but do you find that there are certain things that are commonly coming up for you to address? is so holistic. But I think it's so important that we get the connection between all of the things. I just can't bring myself to focus on one thing. For sure. I think that's a huge problem that we're seeing is businesses or coaches get really good at talking about one thing, but it's so isolated. Fitness, for example, right? All of these other areas that you're talking about affect your fitness. So it's almost pointless to just get in this little box of only thinking about fitness and only thinking about the workouts when you don't have the other pieces in place. So I really connect to trying to think about all the pieces and help people do that. I think it's an awesome mission. And so often we have that specific person that's helping us with this thing. But yeah, it is, it is really about like the whole person and all the things, all the behaviors that we have. The most common areas that I help people with is a lot of my clients, I help improve their relationship with food and feel more connected with, you know, their bodies and their body's needs. But I've also helped people improve their sleep and like overall energy levels. A really, really big one right now, people will come into my course wanting to lose five or 10 pounds or something mm-hmm. like that. Really, they they end up finding like a lot more ease and happiness and less stress and just being intentional and finding, you know, joy in their day-to-day lives. And so I help them orient toward that easeful living instead of stressful living, which is of course easier said than done. And obviously all the other habits help to um, to make us more easeful, but that is an intentional habit that I coach my clients through as well. I go through 10 habits and they're based on these these principles of Ayurveda, which is an ancient Indian science. The habits that I coach are based on the habits of Ayurveda and they're also proven with modern day science. They can also be tweaked for differences between people. So for example, one of our habits is breath body practice is what I call it. Pairing our breath with our movement. It's exercise. So if you're really super athletic and you're doing really hard workouts, that's that for you. Or if you literally can't move, if you're like post-surgery, post-op or something like that, you can still breathe. 
You can Mm. still have breathing practices. And so it's like this huge spectrum, but we can figure out the best thing that's going to work for anyone. So yeah, so I just use current behavioral science research to kind of help them achieve all of these habits as well as anything anything else they're struggling with, including like social interactions, communication, financial goals. I'm curious about how you start to help people repair their relationship with food. What kinds of things are you asking? It's one thing to just decide, okay, well, I'm going to start tuning in with my body. And it's another one to actually do that and figure out what that feels like and what exactly you're listening to and what it means. So where do you start with people when you're trying to help them with that? It's definitely saying all the things, you know, eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full and all of that kind of thing. And using the the hunger scale. So in intuitive eating, you use, you know, one to 10, one being ravenous, which you, I think, just talked about on your last I just podcast. talked about this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so knowing on the hunger scale where you are and that kind of thing. But it's also one of the habits is called self-massage. Just rubbing our bodies either with oil or just can do dry brushing is what it's called and it really brings you especially if you pair your breath with it it brings you into your body a lot more there's been a lot of research on um, massage therapy and helping with uh, releasing um, anxiety and also helping with physical healing and that kind of thing there hasn't been a ton of research on self-massage because there's no money in it but I mean you get the same benefits the same physical benefits from massaging yourself and then I think that it's even more powerful because you're literally taking your own body into your own hands. And that's been huge for so many of my clients. They're like, I actually respect my body so much because I'm literally touching these parts of my body. That gets them really in tune with that as well. And then of course, um, talking about breath body practice and just reveling in what our bodies can do. I've had a lot of clients be like, I did not trust my body. I did not know all of the things that I could do. I had one client who has had chronic pain her whole life because she went through chemo as a, as a child. And she was very scared to have flare-ups. So she didn't do as many things as, as she now realizes her body can actually do. Mm. Having that respect for your body is really a, the first step to be able to have a better relationship with your body and then, and then with food because you want to do what's right for your body. Those things are very intimately connected. I like this concept of trusting your body. I think a lot of times we don't. We think that our conscious mind knows better than our body somehow when really there are so many saved experiences and memories and things that like exist in our bodies. And so discovering how you can trust them, I think is an amazing point. Pain is a whole other thing because when you start to boil down the the mental blocks, that's just a super interesting topic that I actually really want to learn more about. It completely changes your life when you can reduce your pain. There's no money that you can put on it. Your life is exponentially better when you don't have that chronic pain. Yeah. How do you help clients to effectively form and change their habits? So they get support from the group. So it's a group program. We all come together. Um, It's all online, but we come together weekly on weekly video calls. And then they also have, you know, a group forum that we can talk in throughout the week. And then they also have support from mentors who have been through the course before. And then accountability partners that I assign. And then they also have, of course, one-on-one with me. But so they have all of these different levels of support and they have resources. Some of the specific behaviors change strategies that I help with are one of the, the most effective is this concept of Kaizen. 
It's a Japanese word. It basically means small incremental change over time. That is really what breaks us away from that perfectionism, that all or nothing kind of thing. And then identity evolution, changing how we think about ourselves or who we are as we change these habits. Because if we change our habits and just willpower our way through a lot of times we'll go back if we don't actually change our identity with it. And so we work on that a lot too, really embodying that, that new identity. And then uncovering you know, their why, why are they doing what they're doing is obviously so important. And then architecting their environment is another really big one. How can you make it easier to do the habit than to not do the habit. Habits are often very contextual, right? So you get in this exact certain scenario and your brain almost just goes on automatic. And because you're in this scenario and this is what you always do next, Hmm. that's where your brain will just automatically go. It actually takes no thinking for it to do that. So when you actually change that environment and create something different in your routine, all of a sudden, you're not on automatic and you can take a different action from that point. And it makes it so that we aren't relying on willpower because that doesn't work. Because you only have a finite amount of willpower, right? Like that is a finite resource. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of the biggest architecting your environment things is setting reminders on our phones. We forget. There's a stat that's like 70% or more of our day is actually just automated things. It's actually not conscious choices and decisions. Our brain is just going on autopilot. So if we're not intentional intentional about making these decisions, we're just going to keep doing the same shit. Yeah. And that's where decision fatigue comes in too, because when we are trying to change all of these things, when we try to overhaul everything at once, by the end of the day, we are way more likely to reach for whatever vice we have whatever food vice or you know Netflix show or whatever it is. 100%. I'm curious if you can give us an example of how you help somebody like a habit that you might help somebody change and how you help them also evolve their identity with it. Thinking of yourself as someone who works out every day mm-hmm. or does something does some sort of breath body practice every day whether that's you know doing a workout at the gym or doing breath work right a lot of times we start going to the gym and we go to the gym for two weeks and then once we don't do it for a couple of times it's like oh like I was never gonna succeed at that anyway because I'm not the kind of person who goes to the gym I'm just I wish I was but I'm not working on I am the kind of person who goes to the gym every day or I'm becoming the kind of person who goes to the gym every day. Use the Kaizen principle of I woke up too late and I'm running out the door and I can do one minute or even 30 seconds of burpees or stretching or whatever it is. And so we continue that pattern. So the pattern doesn't break and our neural pathways become a lot stronger in being able to do that. That's the Kaizen part of it, but then also the identity evolution of, no, this is who I am. I am this person who does Mm -hmm. this every day and, and who reaps the benefits of it. And we really go way deeper into it too. Of What does this kind of person look like? What does this kind of person dress like? What does this kind of person, uh, how does this person act in the world? How does this person interact with other people and, and all of that kind of thing? I love this concept. I've never thought about it in this way before, but it is so true, especially in the health and wellness world. I think a lot of people that don't feel connected to their health and aren't necessarily on a wellness journey, they see 
people who work out and eat healthy as those kinds of people. And they really do have these blocks. Well, that's just not me. And so then it doesn't allow them to really make any decisions or change any habits that are going to benefit their health in some way. What do you see as the biggest inhibitors of success when people are trying to change their habits? Definitely perfectionism <laughs> is the is the first thing and all or nothing. Thinking they can't really do it perfectly right now, so they might as well just toss it all. I'll start tomorrow, that kind of mindset. There's this point that my clients are like, I've broken that pattern. I finally realized I don't need to do it perfectly and I can still be growing and learning and improving every day. Also based on the research, that's a huge one, especially for women in our current mm. culture. We are kind of told that if you aren't going to do something all the way, like then it's not even worth it. And then also self-sabotage. That's something that I talk a lot about with my clients is our brains come up with all sorts of stories for not being able to do something or maybe not being able to do something as well as we want to. So it's like kind of the flip side of this. So a lot of times we come up with really compelling reasons to not do something or to do something that we've done in the past that we want to change. So mindset is, of course, really important here and kind of breaking out of the that all or nothing paradigm. I also use the yes and, which is actually an improv thing. I have a background in theater. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Someone on the stage does something and then the next person is like, yes. And then they do something else that is like completely ridiculous. Saying yes, I am so swamped with work this week or with school. And here's the one thing that I can do for myself. Here's the the little teeny tiny thing that I can do to make me feel better. Can you tell us what exactly perfectionism is? I am definitely somebody that identifies with this one. (laughs) I have historically been quite a perfectionist. And it's something that I'm working on and being okay with not always having to do things Perfectly. Not always having to be all in on things and being okay with just showing up and being gracious with myself about that. But for people that might not know, can you tell us what perfectionism is? It's really the thought that we have when we tell ourselves that we either have to do it all the way or we can't do it at all. It's this idea that there is perfection, which there isn't Mm. (laughs) in, in anything and that we're, you know, striving for it. It's really outcome oriented versus process oriented. And so I've been really focusing on on trying to be more process oriented rather than rather than being like, oh, it has to turn out this specific way. And that's actually a principle that if you have heard anything about like the seven spiritual laws of success by Deepak Chopra, he talks about like manifestation and, you know, getting the things that you want in your life. And something that a lot of people miss when they talk about manifestation is that like, yes, you can affirm things to yourself over and over and over again. But if you're too attached to that outcome, then that's going to get in your way. And so detachment Mm -hmm. from the outcome is actually something that is super important when trying to get what we want, you know, set the goal and, and then set the process into place for that goal. But then we can't be so attached to the outcome. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I think for a long time, like I'm especially remembering in school, I was so attached to the outcome because I was attaching my self-worth to that product or that outcome, right? And so I, it was like, I felt like it was a reflection of if I was good enough or not. It is so important to detach from that because in reality, what we do or produce or achieve, it, it doesn't have anything to do with our worth. 
right? Yeah. Our, our worth is isn't attached to those external things at all. I really wanting my clients to do really well and then being like, hey, that's actually not if my worth does not depend on my clients doing well. My clients are with me for a really long time and they're not going to be hitting the ground running like woohoo every single day. You know, and so I have to remind myself of that even. And that's like a really big thing that I'm working on right now. Yeah, these things are always a work in progress. Yeah. Find. I want to talk a little bit about time and time management because let's be honest, time is our most precious commodity that we have. So you're currently running a business, you're providing services for clients, you're doing a bunch of content creation, you have a beautiful website, blog, newsletter, all this stuff. How do you make sure that you're intentional about how you're spending your time? Because that's a lot of shit to be juggling. (laughs) Well, thank you. It is a lot. And I'm used to having a lot on my plate for sure. Um, But I definitely have gotten a lot better at that time management um, aspect. Whereas it used to be like, I would just go into my sleep time or go into my exercise time, things like that. I definitely have those things now as though these are my non-negotiables. So I have to get better about managing that time. My favorite thing is batch tasking. And so setting time for myself to to do something, having chunks of time throughout the day where you're just focusing on one thing, maybe that you're doing over and over and over again. But I try to plan out my week uh, on Monday morning. And then I also try to have like monthly planning as well to just kind of see where I where I need to go. And as well as yearly planning, of course, that's a lot more general. I don't get super specific on yearly planning. But one thing that's been really helpful is just switching over to Google Calendar. I used to, you know, have a a written planner. And this is something that I've worked on with my clients as well. They're like, oh, but I love my planner. I love writing things down. And I'm like, well, you can totally do that, too but you're probably not going to write down every single thing that you have coming up. You're probably going to forget some things or you're going to forget to do like those repeating things that you can just kind of mark as repeating on Google calendar or whatever calendar app Mm -hmm. you have. That's been a huge game changer for a lot of my clients. They're like, Oh my gosh, I have so much structure in my day now because I have these reminders in my calendar. Cool. So batch tasking, can you tell me what that is? Yes. Taking a chunk of time and doing the same thing, in that chunk of time. So instead of hopping from one thing to the next throughout the day, oh, I'm responding to emails right now. Oh, I'm I'm working on my blog right now. Oh, I'm doing um, Instagram Got right it. now. Got it's it. like, I'm gonna do Instagram for like the week in this amount of time. And then I'm gonna do email for like an hour every day instead of every time a notification comes up responding to something. So, cool. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like meal planning, but yeah. with other things. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's smart. You have an educational background in sciences, behavioral science, neuroscience, but you also have this interest in Ayurveda. You talked about this a little bit, but can you explain how you integrate both of those different, very different perspectives, both for yourself and then with your clients? When I first started learning about Ayurveda, there wasn't a whole lot of research, but now there is the circadian rhythm. All of the research on circadian rhythms is has been promoted by Ayurveda for centuries, literally centuries. 
thousands of years, spacing out our meals, sleeping when the sun goes down, um, eating earlier and lighter dinners so that we're not eating our heaviest meal like before we go to sleep, hydrating first thing in the morning, moving our bodies. And all of these things are the habits of Ayurveda that they kind of knew all those many, many, many thousands of years ago and that we're now proving with modern science. So it's a really exciting time to be into both of those things. So I find that they they can really go hand in hand now. I definitely used to think that there was this like false dichotomy where it was mm-hmm. either modern science or Ayurveda. And so I would not talk about Ayurveda when I was with people in my master's program or I wouldn't really talk as much about the like scientific evidence when I was talking about Ayurveda with people, but now it's been, it's been a lot easier to bring those things together for sure. And the more I learn about both, the more I see that there's just so much value in both of those things, especially as modern science is starting to open up to mindfulness practices and, you know, different mental and emotional things that maybe would have been seen as, oh, that's, you know, that's just like, um, Hippie, like woo woo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now it's being proven to be effective, so it's cool. Okay, I want to shift and kind of go back to this veganism talk a little bit. In your opinion, what are the upsides and what are the downsides of being a vegan? Any diet that takes things away from you can be detrimental. It's not always, you know, it depends on your mindset going into it, but for People who a lot of times are drawn to these kinds of diets, it is problematic for them. Taking out all of something and having something be, you know, quote unquote bad can just be really, really detrimental for your mental health when it comes to your relationship with food, for sure. I do think that there is a place for veganism. I don't know that, and I'm kind of playing around with my beliefs and stuff, so I don't claim to have the answers at all, but... I think it's a really good stepping stone for a lot of people who come into health. And I think that's the case for a lot of things like paleo and you're basically just incorporating real food into Mm -hmm. your, into your diet. And really, I think that's what it comes down to. It just comes down to eating real food and becoming more in touch with what your body actually needs. In some circumstances, I still think that people can be vegan and be healthy. And it worked for me for a while. And now it's not working for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of being okay with that. I'm working on being okay. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. We need more people with that perspective (laughs) on these kinds of things, for sure. Because we just get so dogmatic about them. And then it's just not true. Different things are right for different people in different phases of their life when they need to discover something. And maybe for someone, it's a great point that maybe for someone who isn't used to eating real foods and eating fruits and vegetables all the time, it's going to be so healing for them to be vegan and to have to eat all the fruits and veggies. I mean, that could be so good for someone in that period of time. It just depends on where you are, how you're approaching it. And it also depends on like where you live, what your ancestry is, you know, the season of the year. We want to be eating just more vegetables and plant-based stuff during the summer. And we do want to be eating more of that protein and fats and different things like that in the winter. So eating like paleo or whatever is great in the winter. And then eating more of a plant-based diet is like really great to do once summer comes around. And I teach seasonal eating because Ayurveda is so all about that too. So my clients have just found 
that, oh, like I don't need to be eating the same exact thing every day, week to week, month to month, season to season. It actually is going to change. And that's what's going to be the most healthy for me. Yeah, it it allows you to introduce so much more variety into your diet. Mm -hmm. Apparently, on average, people only eat 10 to 12 foods in their whole lifetime. Yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> so I feel like the seasonal eating and, and thinking about, okay, well, what foods can I switch to now? And then I maybe I can move away from some of those. And you don't get so caught up in you eat, eating the exact same thing for mm-hmm. breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. You can actually start to incorporate some variety into your diet, which ultimately is so important for getting the nutrients yes. that your body actually needs. Native Americans ate over a thousand different ki- different species of plants. Apparently, there are only like 30 species of plant in like any, you know, typical grocery store in America. Find a plant that you haven't eat- eaten before and have it be a fun thing rather than having it be like, I have to eat this. Get excited about mm-hmm. all the stuff that there is out there to eat. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm kind of excited for you and incorporating meat back in. You're going to have a whole new slew of things that you can eat opened up. (laughs) Yeah, I told told my client, if anyone has some good recipes, send them my way. Yeah, I'll totally send you some. Yes, please do. (laughs) What would you say is the most important thing that you've learned in the last year? Surrendering to knowing that I'm not always going to get it right Mm -hmm. and knowing that that's okay. I always thought that I needed to get everything right the first time. And actually it was Todd who was like, if you didn't know that, why would you expect to know that? There's no way that you could have known that. How would you blame yourself for not knowing that? He has lots of insights like that, which is He's so logical. It's annoying. (laughs) He says something and you're like, yeah, obviously, but (laughs) shut up. Yes. So yeah, so recognizing that I'm not going to get it right. And also that just because I think something doesn't necessarily make it true. My mom always described me as strong willed. I used to be really scared of doing or saying the wrong thing, offending or upsetting someone because I thought of myself as this is who I am. And so that's them judging me. They are judging who I am as a person by giving me, you know, giving me any sort of feedback. This past year, I've definitely been working to recognize I don't have all the answers. I also don't have to have all the answers. And I've been working on not speaking in absolutes and not never do this or I like always do this. Um, And I've been calling myself out with humility. And that's hard, (laughs) really hard. But it's something I'm working on and I'm really excited about it. Cool. Good for you. I love that. I have one final question for you. I ask yeah. everybody this at the end of the show, which I'm sure you've heard if you listen if you listen to the episodes. But what makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, I love this question, and I've actually been like asking people this or like a variation of it. What's exciting you about life right now? Because I just mm. think it opens up the conversation so much. I definitely am just really, really excited about growing and improving over time for myself and also you know this is totally the cliche answer but really making a difference I really grew up thinking that I wanted to make a really big impact on the world my parents really really instilled that in me so that's really what gets me excited and purposeful and um and passionate about the work that I do and just you know going out into the world and 
hanging out with people. How can people connect with you if they want to find out more about your business or they want to find you on social? What are the best ways to do that? My website is happyhealthyhadley.com and that's Hadley with two E's. You can also find me on Instagram, also happyhealthyhadley. My Facebook page is Happy Healthy with Hadley. If you guys want to sign up for a strategy session, um, I do do free strategy sessions. They're 30 minutes long. Uh, and you can just sign up on my website, happyhealthyhadley.com slash contact. Go, go over kind of your goals and get you some like clarification and some action steps going forward. And, and then also, if you want to work with me, just indicate that in your in the forum on the strategy session. Um, and then we can talk about that on there as well. Great. Thanks so much, Hadley. This has yeah, been great. Thank I you appreciate so much. It. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? Remember, we release a new podcast every Monday morning. So always be on the lookout for those to start off your week on the right foot. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or on the podcast website, howdoyoufeelpodcast.com. You can catch up with me on Instagram at KCMZav. I am always open to any comments, questions, feedback that you have on the podcast. I love hearing from the listeners, so please don't hesitate to reach out to me. That's all I have for you this week, guys. Make sure that you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.